Where are we going? Carla responded with something that sounded like dirty whore. When I told her as much, her response was gobbledygook. So I was no closer to an answer. I continued to flail the fuckstick wildly in front of me because my assistant is not to be counted on for such trivialities as keeping me from walking into a wall or oncoming traffic. The only informative stimuli I had to go on, other than the falling snow, was that we were headed toward a hunk of shapeless fuzziness with a gray center of gravity. I kept getting that sensation of needing to blink, like you do when you want to clear your vision. Nothing happened every time I did it, so I kept doing it. I was mentally berating myself for forgetting the sunglasses when we came to a stop. I heard a door squeak open and felt the heat from inside pull me into its fold. Where are we? Hardware store. Lola, the fried chicken last night was great. Write down the recipe and give it to Carla. She could use a few pointers. Fuck off. Not even close to making up for the forehead incident, but it was a start. Thanks, but Shirley made it. Shirley Harris, Trudy's mom, she owns the bar above which we are currently staying. We'd have to deal with her at some point, but there was enough dread wrapped around that conversation that I'd made a point of moving quickly through the bar, like the chicken shit I am, hoping to avoid her. The last time I saw Shirley, we were standing graveside at her daughter's burial. It was a painfully modest affair that I'd rather not revisit. I swallowed the lump in my throat, one that had no business popping to the surface right now, and hoped the memory went down with it. Hey, Glenn. Lola had my left elbow and Carla had my right. One would think this would be a very nice place to find oneself, considering both of these ladies aren't hard on the eyes, if memory serves. Well, one would be wrong. Saying I hate it would be an understatement, the likes of which make the burdens of Sisyphus wither by compare. Shoving a rock up a hill for a lifetime is one thing. Being the rock in question is another. The guy's got nothing on the rock. I assure you, the rock doesn't want to be there either. Turn off the lights when you're done. Lola's voice was loud in my ear and she turned to speak over her shoulder. I forget one time and I'm going to hear about it forever. Unless you want to pay my light bill. His reply came from the front of the store as we walked further inside. Clearly, Glenn is the hardware store owner, and he and Lola have done this dance a time or two. The wood floors were old, based on all the creaking. Place had a musty smell mixed with that of damp cardboard. Both women stopped walking, and since they had my elbows, I did too. I made a big show of jerking my arms out of their grasp. Easy there, fella. We're about to walk down a set of stairs. There's cement covered in cheap carpet, and they're steep. Here, hang on. I felt Lola step in front of me, then reach back to grab my hands and place them on her shoulders. She was already standing a stair below me. Five steps, then a hard right, then five more to the basement. Behind me, Carla's fingers slid down the small of my back beneath my coat until they breached the perimeter of my waistband, where she tucked them behind my belt. So why am I here, and where is here? 
I asked this as we reached the bottom of the stairs. Because my cousin was murdered down here 30 years ago and I don't have another 30 to figure out why. Okay, we're in the basement. It used to be a hobby shop. Was it a hardware store then? I bent my neck to each side to work out the kinks that had taken up residence. Uh-huh. A hobby shop below a hardware store, huh? Yeah, they sold those model cars and miniatures that you could put together with glue. Remember those? Sewing stuff, craft stuff. They also sold some birds and small pets like turtles and gerbils, stuff like that. Lola was matter-of-fact in the way people are when they're tired of repeating the same story they've been telling more or less for 30 years. The room felt unusually small, like our voices were compacted into a deep, squat area. I reached up and touched the ceiling. I'm a few inches over six feet and had no problem grazing my knuckles against the hollow drop ceiling. Lola, tell me what I'm seeing since Metal Mouth over here can't do the honors. The room's a long rectangle straight ahead from where you're standing. To your immediate left, there's an archway that's cut out of the rock wall and it leads into another room that's the exact same size and shape as this one. The owner at that time bought the neighboring store about a year before the murder, and then they changed that basement into a storage room, which is what it was at the time of the murder. Along the back in both sides of this room were aquariums that were built into the walls, and that's where they kept the animals, uh, except for the birds. Those were in freestanding cages, and then they had a storage area in the back where they had a big cage of them. There's a storage area at the back of this room and runs all the way around behind the wall to your right. Think of it like a big L, but upside down. Back in that narrow section on the right side is the boiler and a bunch of old shelves. To your immediate right inside this room is where the register was, the cash register. Today there's still a glass display case over there. Behind it, on the same wall as the stairs we just came down, so it's behind us, there's a little door you can access that back L-shaped room. And then there's another one, another access point, all the way at the back of this room, in the corner, where the back and the right walls intersect. Where'd they find her? Lola tugged on my coat, pulling me straight back to the rear of the room, which was directly below the front of the hardware store above us. If I had my bearings. Right here. Inside the doorway to the back room. So the other door behind the register, it comes all the way down here. There's access all the way, I mean. Yeah. Was the door open or closed when they found her? I don't know. I don't have much information because it's still considered an open investigation. So there's not much chance of getting anyone outside local law enforcement to even look at it. What do you know? What people told me over the years. At the time she was killed, I was living out of state on a Navy base with my first husband. I get the impression the cops assumed it was her husband, Mike. Mainly, that's because what everyone keeps telling me that they heard. That they had a suspect all along, but no reason they could arrest him. The lead detective won't tell me anything, so I stopped asking. I was hoping he would tell you guys something. I'm guessing he won't. In the last news report, they did say that Mike had been eliminated as a suspect. I'm not sure how. That was news to me. When I called to ask Detective Price about it, he said he had nothing to do with the announcement, and he wouldn't rule anybody out. I was told her husband was off work that day, but I got no idea why. For what it's worth, I don't think Mike did it. Why? Carla walked up behind me and put a hand on my arm to let me know she was standing there. 
Well, as much as I don't like him, with nothing behind that other than he married my cousin real young, I just don't see him doing that kind of damage. I never even heard him raise his voice, never mind doing anything remotely aggressive toward her, verbally or anything. He was just a regular guy. He liked his beer, but he didn't party. He didn't do much of anything except work and go home. What about your cousin? Any chance she was having never. enough? Never is almost never, never. But I didn't think it was the appropriate time to offer my opinion on that. I do know she still had some food in her stomach, so they think it wasn't too long after she ate that whatever happened, happened. Lola, how do you know about the stomach contents? Talk the M.E. assistant out of a copy of an autopsy report. And that didn't go over too well with Price. Uh, I'm guessing Detective Price likes you about as much as he likes Carla. I don't think he ever interviewed Mike after he left town. I asked around. To my knowledge, he was questioned right after the murder. I was told at some point Mike looked like he was going to confess until Price walked in the room. I was also told that he was advised by his attorney not to take a polygraph. But Mike couldn't have afforded a lawyer, so I don't know what they're talking about. Someone else told me he did take a polygraph, but it was inconclusive, so I, hell, I don't know. Lola, I hate to break it to you, but none of that helps because none of it is fact. Is there anything you know for sure besides what she ate for lunch? There was a muffled sound that I couldn't translate until I heard sniffling and Carla jabbed me in the ribs as she brushed past me. Oh no, Jesus. It's fine, I'm fine. What do I know for sure? Well, let's see. My cousin was a sweet girl with an eight-year-old little girl of her own when she got killed. She took piano lessons, she could sew. No one had a bad thing to say about her. One lady told me a story about how her son came in to get a bird but she wouldn't sell it to him because she knew that he listened to that loud rock music. She was afraid it would hurt the bird, the music. That's who my cousin Jill was. Let's see, what else do I know? I know that a couple decades ago on a cold day in January, she walked downstairs to start her work day. And when she came back up, she was on a stretcher. And her face was pretty much hamburger meat. She was hauled upstairs on that stretcher about five hours. After she was found, if you believe both the autopsy report's time of discovery around 10 minutes to 4 in the afternoon and then the local paper's account of her being removed from the scene just after 9 that night. They even ran a picture of them putting the stretcher in the back of the ambulance. I know the old lady who found her came down here to look for her when nobody had seen her in a while. And then when she ran back up the stairs, she was hyperventilating so bad they thought she was having a heart attack. I know there's a question as to how someone could do what they did to my cousin and get out of here unnoticed. That stairwell leading down here, it's in the center of the store. At the time of the murder, there was a register right next to it, and another one right next to the front door. I highly doubt those old ladies working those counters would have missed someone covered in blood, strolling out of that basement stairwell and then walking out into the middle of town. But there is a matching stairway in the adjoining basement storage area. So he could have left up that stairway and then gone out the back door. It's about 50 feet from that back stairwell to the back door. Straight shot. There was a lot of blood, so I feel like he had to have been covered in it. Someone beat the shit out of her. After assaulting her in a way that any woman will tell you, they wouldn't wish upon their worst enemy. I know there was blood splatter on the back of her hands. 
And if I think too long about that, I don't know anything about what the first officer on the scene found, but I do know that the guy who was county prosecutor at the time told everybody that the first responders called him to the scene that day just because he was new on the job and they thought it would freak him out. He said he got here and the cops were all trampling through the crime scene, so he called Detective Price, who was a detective for the state police back then. Price retired a couple years ago. A few months back, the county sheriff's department hired him on as part-time investigator. 500 hours a year, sort of on-call kind of thing. The city police chief back then died recently, and the officer who responded to the initial call died of a heart attack about 15 years ago. They're dropping like flies. Uh, I think it goes without saying that nobody should have to tell that story. And I suspect Lola had recounted it a few times before today. I want you to think about 30 years with that pushing around in your head while you're trying to go about the ordinary day-to-day stuff, like paying a cable bill or snaking a clogged toilet drain. This is your cousin we're talking about, remember? A girl you scribbled in coloring books with, spent afternoons with chasing a dog around the yard. She probably braided your hair. You probably got into her makeup and paid dearly for it. This is someone you knew and loved. Could probably identify her by smell with your eyes closed. And nowhere, in your wildest imagination, while you were braiding her hair or scribbling in those coloring books, did you ever think you'd one day be describing her rape or blood spatter indicative of someone defending yourself? No, in those lazy days of summer and ice cream and pool parties, even when your cousin was slowly licking her ice cream cone and watching you gobble yours down first so you'd be forced to watch her slowly savor hers, at no time did you consider how a bunch of cops would one day call the county prosecutor to a crime scene to see if your cousin's brutalized corpse could get a rise out of him. None of these things the average human is equipped to deal with because humans instinctively labor under the assumption that everything they find repugnant, the rest of humanity does too. The average Tom, Dick, or Mary walking down the street doesn't stop to consider what kind of person gets so caught up in a fit of rage that they can kill someone and leave the body for someone else to find because average humans don't want to contemplate such things, never mind do them. We tell our children bedtime stories about the monsters under their beds. Stories with charming resolutions that make everyone feel cozy and safe when they close their eyes at night. We don't warn them about the ones living next door because we don't actually believe the bad guy can get that close. Unfortunately, bad guys have to live somewhere. And chances are, they've got neighbors. Luckily, we had Carla's vehicle because before the guano hit the fan, she'd driven down from Detroit to do what I originally thought was Osceola hotel business. As she is wont to do, my assistant then proceeded to do something entirely different. She traipsed around town asking questions about a 30-year-old unsolved murder. Lash and I found her car and most of her belongings at the flea bag dive she checked into after deciding to stay the night. I skipped my surgery that day, and we headed off to fetch her after Lash told me about the preliminary report on the bathroom bomb. That's the first bomb, the one that blinded me. Seems a piece from that bomb was possibly purchased right here in Reed City, 
one of only three hardware stores in the area that sell what amounts to a washing machine fitting. Carla had walked directly into the trouble, and we were able to confirm that when Lash and I arrived in Reed City, just in time to find her room empty. After a brief exchange with the stoned clerk at the desk, Lash and I had driven toward Upton Street a few blocks away, where she was last seen headed on foot. We heard the bomb go off en route. That's the second bomb, the one that ended with Carla's fractured jaw. I suspect this is what Detective Price wants to talk to us about, because Lash forwarded him a copy of the report on the first bomb. Since Price is probably the lead on bomb two and has met Carla Danning, I further suspect he thinks there's a good chance she's the reason we're here today, fucking up his Christmas. So here we are, parked outside Price's house, which Carla texted me is nice, has a tasteful nativity scene in the yard, and it looks like he left the porch light on from the previous night because it's nowhere near sunset. Also of note, the house is located on the west end of Upton Street, mighty small town. There's a reason one gets the impression you're always being watched in a small town. It's because you are. Text message from Carla. I will text my questions to you one by one as I want to ask them. Don't even think about trying to avoid them because I'll plunk my ass in Price's lap and refuse to move if either of you even think of exploiting the fact that I can't speak. He obviously wants info on the bomb. You and I were the only people there. We know the story better than the Detroit TV. If he wants answers, I have no problem giving them. But he's gonna pay the fuck up. You feel me, Morno? I feel you, Buttercup. Anyone within a 50-foot radius can feel you if they try hard enough. Your prickly aura precedes you. You can ask Price whatever you want, but good luck getting any answers. I'm here to see what he's got on the Osceola bomb. You remember that one, right? The one that went off while you were taped up inside a dumbwaiter? We should probably get to the bottom of that at some point. Maybe the bomb in your bathroom, too. Seems to me... We haven't tied that one up in a pretty little cellophane bow, either. That's whatever you want. Carla was clickety-clacking as we walked up the driveway. Since she had one hand on my elbow, I figured she was typing with her thumb. My assistant can multitask. I'll give her that. But her motivator is a strong one. The only way her voice can be heard is by sending me texts and having them read back when I tap the screen. I'm in control now, but I dread the day Carla realizes she can turn her phone to voiceover mode and basically have a little speaking tablet. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. She's a smart cookie. She'll put it together eventually. Right now, I'm savoring every moment before that little barrier of me tapping the screen after the text alert no longer stands between me and Carla Danning making herself heard. Price answered the door with no greeting, so the blind guy was forced to follow in confused silence as his assistant led him forward 12 steps and then to the right into a room. 
A door closed, I was ushered to a chair, and then we were all seated. The blind guy, who didn't even know where the fuck he was sitting at the moment, the mute girl presently clicking with a fervor I'd not yet heard from her texting fingertips, and the cop. I assume you got the stuff Lash sent. Bombs aren't the same, but they're both crude enough that the same guy could have done it. I'm waiting on the FBI to do a workup on both. You tracking the part we think was purchased at the hardware store? Glenn's wife's coming in to go through the receipts tomorrow. They're not on computers. They got an old cash register that's a lot more conservative about what it spits out than the ticker tape parades those newfangled machines produce. She'll have to go back through the rolls and try to find orders with a $2.97 item included. I doubt it's the only item they sell for that dollar amount, so she'll pull them all, and we'll have to go from there. Look at dates, what else was purchased. See if she or Glenn remembers any of the sales. We don't know when our guy bought the part or even if he bought it there. Glenn said it isn't a commonly sold piece and they usually only keep a couple in stock. He didn't recall selling one recently. I got someone checking the other two places, but none of them have surveillance cameras. All three are mom-and-pop type stores. Matching a sales receipt to the memory of a sale is probably a long shot. What about cameras outside any of the stores? One's at a strip mall in Clare. No cameras anywhere near it. The one in Leroy. I'll check on that, but if memory serves, there aren't any businesses around there I think would have cameras. As far as the hardware store here in Reed City, don't think any of the surrounding businesses have cameras. Well, I think... Banks on the same side of the street, too far down. I'll double-check, but it's unlikely. Even if their camera points in that direction, it could get a clear enough shot of the front of the hardware store from that distance. Now that I think about it, though, the new gym on the opposite side of the street might have something. Seem to recall seeing a van outside before they opened a few months back. Don't remember if it was electrical or something else being installed. I'll check. But don't get your hopes up. I'm just thinking out loud. Text message from Carla. I pulled my phone out of my pocket and tapped the screen, disappointed that I couldn't see the detective's expression when he heard how bored the lady in my phone was with the entire conversation. Detective, did you have enough on Mike Reynolds to get a court order for his DNA based on the fact that he brought his wife lunch on the day she was murdered? I'm not going to answer any questions about the Reynolds case. Tell me about the bomb, the one in the bathroom. What led up to it? You ever see Silence of the Lambs, Price? I believe I have, yes. Quid pro quo, Price. My assistant gave me strict orders to answer every one of your questions for which yeah. you offer an answer to one of hers. Exactly. Seems fair, so I'm not going to fight her on it. I'd like to get this over as quickly as possible. I'm craving a beer, 12, and my head's starting to pound. While my assistant is frantically typing out whatever she's typing, I'll make a show of good faith and go first. Looks to me like whoever did our bomb doesn't want Carla to have the hotel, because the detonation of said device was right around the time Carla came to Reed City and purchased the Osceola. There was a question as to whether the Detroit bomb was related to another case, but we've now ruled that out. The person we were looking at was indirectly related to Carla and her murdering ex-husband. I read the report. I want to know why you visited Sims in prison. 
Ah, now we're moving a little fast. Exactly. Text message from Carla. Detective, yes or no, will do. Did you bother to get Mike's DNA? And have you even once questioned him since he left Reed City? If I can track the guy down to Arizona, I'm sure you can. So if you haven't spoken to him, and I have it on moderately good authority that you haven't, since right after the murder, I'd like to know why I'm repeatedly hearing you've told people over the years that you had a suspect, but not enough probable cause to arrest. And you give everyone the impression that suspect is Mike Reynolds. You and I know Mike didn't do it. Otherwise, you'd have been all over him, year after year, going back and poking at him to see what might pop out. I'm guessing you don't think there's a reason to go out of your way to question him. If that's the case, why spend so much time getting word around town that you think it's him? That makes me think you want everyone to think you think it's Mike. And the only reason you'd want to do that is if you do have a suspect. Still no probable cause. But that suspect is close enough that he'd hear all the gossip just like I've heard and think you believe the husband did it. No comment. Mm. Why'd you visit Sims in prison? No comment. Detective Morneau, I hate to consider things like obstruction of justice. Those kinds of things bother me. They're unnecessary. I agree. And since I've offered to answer each and every one of your questions, obstruction of justice doesn't apply. I'd like to know why you haven't kept Lola in the loop about her cousin's murder. Four or five times you've taken her calls, but we're talking over 30 years here. It's not my job to deal with the public. My job is to get the prosecutor what he needs to build a case. If you don't think most of law enforcement is PR, you're not thinking far enough outside the box, detective. Everything you do or don't do when you wear that badge directly relates to your relationship with those you've taken an oath to protect and serve. All the positive actions and intentions in the world can't overcome bad public perception. I'd go one further and say you can't effectively do your job without positive public perception behind you. And I'd take issue with your use of the word public. As far as Lola's concerned, she's not the public. She's your victim's cousin. You two have something in common, I assume, and that's getting this case solved. I understand how things work. You and I both know this is a cold case, despite the fact that it remains open. I bet there hasn't been any activity on that investigation in years. Listen, I can't imagine how shitty I'd feel if I thought I knew who'd killed an innocent young woman, but I didn't have enough evidence to prove it. That would make me cranky. I also know it wouldn't hurt to call the interested family member who lost someone she loved in a way none of us should lose someone. Oh, I don't know. Once or twice a year? Maybe try something like, had three leads, none of them panned out, still working on it. A little of that goes a long way toward not looking like a giant prick. Detective, how does a cop who 
assaults a state trooper and a resident at a local bar a month before the murder, which gets him fired, eventually go on to become a probation officer in the county in which he was convicted. I was told it's because he's got connections. Would you know who those connections might be? I'd like to talk to them. And him, too, at some point. If my background check is correct, and it is, he lives three houses down from here, presumably on a cushy, taxpayer-funded pension. Oh, and one more question before I forget. Was this officer at the crime scene that day? No comment. Oh, come on. Tell you what, Price. We'll go ahead and let you investigate the bombs, since it appears they're related. And that last ball was lobbed in the general direction of your jurisdiction. I have all the confidence in the world that you'll find the guy. Carla and I will stay out of your hair and maybe dig into the Reynolds thing a little deeper. Yeah, good idea. Let us know if we can help. But we've told the FBI everything we know about the bomb in Detroit. And Carla's told you all she knows about what landed her in that hotel. Far as I can see, ball's still in your court. Keep us in the loop. Text message from Carla. Why would someone use the phrases face beaten beyond recognition and mutilation to describe Jill's injuries? Those weren't phrases that popped into my head when I read that report, but they do accurately describe the ME's finding. How many people traipsed through the basement that day, Detective? If you're confident you haven't got a herd of employees who were privy to a close enough look that they'd come up with words like that, you've got to ask yourself who in law enforcement was blabbing. My money's on the group of cops who hung out at that bar next door. People tend to get loose-lipped when alcohol and bravado are involved. These guys weren't the sharpest tools in the shed to begin with if they're calling the county prosecutor to a gory crime scene, hoping he'd puke at the sight of a corpse. I think we'll stop there. I stood up and cracked my knuckles. Everything felt stiff. There's no point in dragging this out. He was getting way more than we were. I like the scales tipping in my direction, if I can help it. I pulled on my jacket and heard Carla stand and do the same. The feds don't know about Sims, Morno. Why'd you visit him in jail? You're awfully obsessed with Sims, Price. Makes me nervous. Hang on. As far as we know, that slimy piece of work wanted to make sure Carla didn't get any chummier with Shirley Harris and her grandson. Trudy was my neighbor. Carla wanted to help her get cleaned up, but Trudy killed herself before we had a chance to try. That's the reason we came to Reed City in the first place. If backstory is what you're looking for. But now we've got bombs following us around. This didn't start with us, Price. This started with something in your town. So maybe you should find out what followed us to Detroit and then dragged us back. Carla was clicking again, so I stood and waited a minute or so for the text alert. For the record, a minute or so is a long time when you're standing a few feet from someone you've basically just told to go fuck himself. Finally, my Sally Go Dimly delivered our parting shot. Text message from Carla. Both 
boys are shit. As is the nasty piece of work that sired them. If the guy who wrote my bullshit Osceola hotel contract is really their father, if you find Sim's daughter has suddenly gone missing, it's because she finally worked up the nerve to get the hell out of Dodge. Being sexually molested by both your brother and father over the years tends to lead to that sort of thing. The brother that's dead, he's where he should be. The brother rotting in the Iona jail didn't get a long enough sentence, as far as I'm concerned. I hope those lawyer parents of his don't try to get him an early release. I thought we were keeping that part to ourselves, the part about Jolene. Seems Carla had other ideas. I'm not sure why Carla wanted Price to know about Jolene's sexual abuse. Maybe she wanted someone else to know there was a girl out there who might need help at some point. Or maybe she needed to shine her flashlight under another one of the town's rocks to show Price that even if some things aren't directly related to the case at hand, you still need to look at the big picture. Big picture here. Reed City is no Mayberry. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. <laughs>